let's pray. God, thank you so, so much for being so good. God, for being so faithful. Thank you for loving us as unlovable as we are. God, thank you for forbearance. God, thank you for long-suffering, for patience we don't deserve. Thank you, God, for, for lifting us up. Thank you, God, for holding us up. Thank you, God, for your countless many wonderful, undeserved blessings that you freely give to us, God. I, we lift all these requests up together, Lord, and we say amen in one accord and ask you to touch each one of these needs. I pray you take a few minutes, God, as we look into your word here and, and help us to learn something about you. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll take a shot at this for a few minutes. I don't know how far we'll get, but we're going to look at 2 Corinthians. I want to pick up in verse number 12 where we left off last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 12. Paul says, but what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory they may be found even as we. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. For ye suffer fools gladly seeing ye yourselves are wise. So Paul continues here. Thank you. You can be seated. But Paul has somewhat of a determination now here to, to point these out, a, a determination to expose those at Corinth who are sowing discord in the church and sowing discord amongst the brethren. He is exposing their, their insincerity. He is exposing their deceptiveness. He's exposing their wickedness, their false claims to be messengers from God. They are false teachers. They've accused Paul of taking money from the Corinthians, which we've seen in the past couple of weeks that he's proven beyond measure that he has not done that. Yet these same people, one of the reasons they accuse him is because they are taking money from the Corinthians and they're, they're forcing them to, to give money on a regular basis and claim that they're paying them for their services. So verse number 13, Paul just calls them out point blank. They're, they're liars. They're, they're cheaters. They're, they're thieves. He says they are self-appointed apostles, which is truth. The self-appointed apostle is no apostle at all. They're counterfeit. They're, they're Credentials are phony. They have no real calling of God on their life. They're, they're not called of Christ to be a witness. Now, Paul understands these are some very serious charges. Paul's been dealing with these people for several chapters in the letter now. Paul's been dealing with these people for several weeks at best, probably months. But he's been dealing, and he understands these are some very serious charges that he's bringing against somebody. And if you're going to bring these kind of things out, you better have some facts straight. You better know some things are right. And I believe that Paul has spent a lot of time in prayer. You know, several times as we've looked at the letters of Paul, once not too far back even here in this second letter to Corinth, we've looked at how the letter changed direction so abruptly that it's almost like Paul put the pen down for a while. Anybody remembers talking about that, that there's times in the letter that, that you're here at one point and then all of a sudden it, it comes back and it's like maybe he got a night's sleep or he went away and took some time and came back. But I would feel confident that Paul has taken a lot of time and, and prayed here. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, and Paul tells us that the Spirit beareth witness. And we know that the Bible tells us that the Spirit beareth 
witness. The, the Bible even tells us to search the spirits, to see, to see if they be right, to see if they be true. There, there is a like spirit between Christians. There, there's a connecting spirit. Just because someone tells you they are a Christian, just because someone makes an attempt to quote something from the Bible, anybody know what I'm talking about? Says sometimes there's a spirit that just doesn't connect. People can claim what they want, but the Bible says that we're to try the spirits. I believe Paul has tried the spirits of these people. I believe Paul has spent a lot of time in prayer, and I believe he is confident that the Holy Spirit has shown him, they're not mine. They're not one of mine. They're, they have no road to Damascus experience. They have no salvation experience. I didn't send them there. You know if I'd sent them there, then there wouldn't be such confusion in the church. There wouldn't be such bickering and arguing and pointing fingers and accusations. So I imagine Paul probably more than once has walked away from this letter and prayed for a little bit of time and, and spent some guidance there of the Holy Spirit because Paul knows the seriousness of the charges but what Paul could not have known is that God was using him to write a letter to the church that would be working and helping and ministering in the church for 2,000 years and counting. Paul knew that he was writing to those at Corinth. He was trying to help the believers at Corinth understand that there are some false prophets among you. There are some non-believers among you. There are some wolves in sheep's clothing among you. There are some that are coming and sitting in your pews that are stirring up trouble that their spirits do not connect. The devil has them there. He doesn't mind them being in church because he knows their position as long as they're fooled. So what Paul could not have known is that God was using him to write a letter to Corinth so that Faith Baptist Church in 2020 could understand the facts. Beware of false prophets. Beware of those that will sow discord. Beware of those that are in the church to stir up trouble in the church. Beware. Try the spirits and make sure that they are one. So Paul, Paul, knowing the seriousness here, he, he comes to defend himself. We've seen him do a little bit of self-defense in the last couple of weeks. But now he is here to expose the evilness of the accusers. He says, I'm tired of defending myself against these troublemakers. Let's just talk about them. Let's just bring out the reality. They are liars, cheaters, that they are the worst among us. And he says, and why not? Why would they not be? That's what the devil does. That's who they're following, and that's, he says marvel. He says, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Paul says, you shouldn't be surprised that they would pretend to be something that they're not, just in order to get you to believe something. It shouldn't surprise you uh, if they quote a scripture or two in an effort to try to reel you in and make you think that they're on the same side, because that's the same thing that the devil does. Satan is the fallen angel. He is the ruler of the darkness of this world. He can manifest himself into something beautiful. The, the word that Paul used here for transformed, it means to change one's appearance. Now, there, there's a good time in transform. There's some good change, and we sit in our own bodies. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21 says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's an exciting couple of verses right here. I'll give you a little breather. Anybody like that part? Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. 
according to the work and whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. 1 Corinthians 15, 50, This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That is that, that, is that same word. That is a transformation. We will be changed. We will be transformed in a moment of the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We shall be transformed. Well, at the sound of the trumpet, we're going to be transformed, but Satan has already been through some kind of transformation because at one time, he was an angel of great beauty. At one time, Lucifer the fallen angel, he has created, God's created one of the archangels, and he was a being of great beauty, but in Revelation we see him as the great red dragon. In the garden he disguised himself as a serpent, and we think of the serpent of the snake that most people are scared of, but that's not the animal that he disguised himself as. He disguised himself as a beautiful animal. The serpent was a beautiful animal, a wise and cunning animal. And so he took on the form of something beautiful in order that Eve might communicate with him. It's the curse that put him on his belly. It's the curse that put him at enmity with man. It's the curse that caused that. But prior to that, the devil took on something beautiful. In the book of Job, we see um, Satan as, a, as an angel being, a form that can go back and forth to the throne room of God. We see him talk with God himself. We see that he has incredible powers and things that the Father gave him those powers when he was created. He has those archangel powers. We see that he's been given power over the winds and the weather. We see that he has power over sickness and disease. We see that he has power and the ability to inflict great pain on people. He can inflict hard times. He can even inflict death on people. But we also know that he can inflict nothing if God doesn't allow it. He has great power, but all of his power is under the authority of God the Father. We know that also from Job because he wanted to tempt Job. He said he would curse you. And God said, you can touch his stuff but you can't touch his body. So therefore, he took away his stuff, but he could not touch Job. He came back the second time, and you know the story. God says, okay, you can touch his body, but you cannot take his life. He brought great pain, great afflictions on Job. But what we see is that God said, you cannot touch his life. So we know that Satan has incredible powers, but he's still bound by the authority of the Father. Now, what we don't know is we don't know how the fall may have altered his appearance, but we do know that he is a deceiver and that he is able to take on different forms. The Bible tells us that he is a serpent. His words are like venom. He likes to take the word of God and change it just enough to make it poison to your mind, poison to your soul, poison to this world, poison to the things of this world. He is like a serpent. He is diabolically clever in taking the truth of the Word of God and changing it just enough that you won't pick up on it to turn astray. And that's where so many false religions in this world have been birthed from. Somebody taking and changing it just enough to change it from the truth of what it's actually saying. The Bible says that he is as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So we know that he is this dangerous animal. He's dangerous as a lion walking and, and looking around. And can I tell you, he hates the human race. He hates all of mankind. He hates the human race in general, but he hates you in particular. He hates you because you are a child of God. You have overcome. He cannot 
touch you except that God allows it because you are a child of the king and you cannot touch the king's children unless the king allows it. The problem here with the devil is that he is never more dangerous than when he hides himself, disguises himself as something beautiful. If he came to you as a lion, you would seek protection. You would have great fear. If he came to you as the red dragon, you would run and cry out to the Father for help. So he doesn't come to you as a lion. He doesn't come trying to. Your danger is not that he's going to come to you as this great wicked thing. He he comes in blue jeans and and well manicured. He he comes in nice clothes. And it looks like he has money and and some etiquette about himself. He, He comes in Dresses about the length of my coat. I won't even preach on that. He, he comes in whatever color hair you like. He, he comes in things to deceive you. He comes in things that appear pleasing to the eye, but that's when he is most dangerous. Paul says in verse 15, Why would you expect these liars, these followers of the devil, these followers of the deceiver... Why would you expect them to be any different? Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Satan is the author of all false religion. He is the author of confusion. He is the father of lies. He is the deceiver of the human race. He is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus himself told us that. He's out to take away everything good in you, everything good about you. He's out to destroy your life, destroy your family, destroy your home, destroy everything about you, destroy your happiness. He wants to take all of that away. Why would those following him not want to do the same thing? Paul says that's what they're doing in this church. you got the few troublemakers within the church, and because they're sowing their discord, they're using a little bit of Scripture to buy people in, to reel them in, so they think they're holy, so they think they're pure, just to get you to listen, so you think you're the same. Paul says, try the Spirit. Because if you look at the reality of what they're actually doing, is they're causing discord in you. They're causing you to bicker with one another. They're stirring up things within the church. They're beating it down so that the presence of the Holy Spirit can't come. They're holding back worship. They're bringing their evil presence into God's house and causing problems within the church. They're doing the same thing that the deceiver does because that's who they're following. And then Paul goes on. Having reprimanded the enemy, verse 16, he reminds them of who he is. He says he's the apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, I say again, let no man think me a fool. If otherwise, yet as a fool, receive me, that I may boast myself a little. The word for fool comes from a word that means without reason. It means insane or lacking common sense. We see that in the book of Luke chapter 11 verse 40. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to his house for dinner. And that Pharisee and other Pharisees were there. Jesus came for dinner. He sat down at the table for dinner. The Pharisees behind his back began to talk about Jesus. He sat down at the table. He didn't even watch. He's just coming to the house. And the thoughts, he says, do you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter? But your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. He says, ye fools. Same word Paul just used. Did not he that made that which is without 
Make that which is within also. Jesus used the same word when he gave us the parable of the rich man. Remember the rich man that his farms did well, his crops were great, and he looked at all that he had, and he said, man, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down these small to medium barns I've got. I'm going to build huge barns, and I'm going to put all this up, and I'm set for life. I'm just going to sit back and take my leisure. I'm going to take it easy. Jesus used the same word again, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required. Paul says, don't let any of you think of me as a fool. But he goes on to say, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast a little. Paul says, no, I'm not a fool. But let me show you a little foolishness of my own. I'll do a little boasting of my own now. All of those them singing and making themselves so much. Now, Paul, Paul hasn't created some false desire here. Paul has no desire to promote himself. He's not promoting himself above the gospel. Paul's desire is to promote Jesus Christ and the simplicity of the gospel. That's his heart. That's his desire. He says, but, but for just a minute, I'm, I'm going to boast here. But at least I have the facts to back up what I say. I was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ himself. I've already told you the story that they can make all the accusations, but I was called of Jesus Christ to be an apostle. I have all of the power and all of the authority that goes with the call of the apostle. I have been given authority to preach the gospel, called of God to do that. No one who attempts to rise up against me can discredit my message. They can make accusations. They can create lies. They can stir up troubles. But, but my message is Jesus Christ. My message has not changed. My message will not change. You can attempt to discredit me if you want to. But you cannot discredit my message. But Paul says, now, in boasting of myself, now I'm speaking as a fool. Paul is reluctant to speak about himself because he knows speaking about yourself is, is not only not sensible, but it's just not spiritual. He says, that which I speak in verse 17, I speak not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. I'll be honest, that's, that's a little dip of sarcasm right here. In Paul's writing, he goes on and says, You suffer fools gladly, seeing that ye yourselves are wise. You, you don't see a lot of sarcasm in Paul's writing. You see a lot of teaching, and I think it's going on and off. Um, you, you hear a lot of things in Paul's writing, but one of the things you don't hear a lot of is sarcasm. But you do right here. Right here, I was reading that and studying this passage and looking through it, and it made me think of Elijah. Remember when Elijah called the 450 false prophets of Baal, and he brought them out for the showdown? He put it down and said, we're going to have a showdown. We're going to call on our gods to come down and fire and take up the sacrifice. He let them pick their wood. He let them pick which sacrifice he wanted. He let them pick everything they wanted. He let them go first. He said, have at it, boys. Call your old god, your false god, Baal. Call him down here and fire and let him come lick up your sacrifice and burn up the wood. And they got to calling and nothing happened. And they got to screaming a little louder and nothing happened. And they got to yelling and shouting and nothing happened. They got to cutting themselves and bleeding on it trying to get him. And old Elijah, he started having some fun. Hey, boys, I look a little louder. Maybe he's asleep. Hey, maybe he's on a trip. He might be on a journey. Maybe you need to holler a little bit longer. He ain't heard you yet. Hey, he might be talking to somebody. Cut yourself again right there. I don't think you cut yourself right. Cut yourself on the other arm. Maybe, maybe he didn't see it. He, he, he began sarcasm. 
he began to mock them and mimic and make fun of them because he stood there in the power of God knowing. And when they all got through cutting on themselves and screaming, they done lost their voice and they're about out of blood and they're panting and gasping for air and they wore out. He said, you boys done now. Get out of the way and get all your garbage off the table. Let me show you what a real God looks like. And he called down fire from heaven after having put all of the water. I, I kind of feel like I see a little bit of that in Paul right here. I see a little bit of Paul. You boys are talking smack. You have nothing. You have no power. You, you have no uh, authority. So pretty much here, he, he, he's pointing them out. And, and he says, you there at Corinth, you, you're too easily deceived. He's talking back to the people now. You're, you're too easily distracted. Verse number 24, you suffer if a man bring you into bondage, if a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face. The, the word that Paul uses for bondage here means to make you slaves. This entire time, Paul rejoiced. Remember, it was a great celebration. Anybody remember that? Everybody remember that? And we talked about they probably stayed up all night talking in joy and celebration. Paul and Paul was in a spirit of depression at the time because his words. So Titus comes. There's this. There's this great joy. And if you remember, we talked about. It's obvious that they they talked for a good time about all the good times. But but it was almost like after a whole night and maybe a day of celebrating, there came this time when Titus said. Paul, I need you to sit down. I've told you the good, but that's not the whole story. I, I need to tell you the rest of the story now. Now, obviously, from what Paul says here, some of the Corinthians are being treated as slaves. They're being held under bondage and not bondage of that kind of slavery. But can I tell you, there's still some of this going on today. They're held under the bondage of legalism, man-made laws. Here in this day, they would have been held under the bondage of Judaism and that old Jewish law and that strict sect, that strict religion of the Pharisees. You know, you know that kind of stuff says, you know, you can go here, but you can't go there. You have to go to this place. You can't go to that place. You have to wear this, but you can't wear this. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Man-made laws. It doesn't matter if it's preached from a pool. Can I, can I give you all this for free if you listen to preacher radio anybody else? It doesn't matter what you hear from a pulpit. It doesn't matter what you hear from a preacher. It doesn't matter how big his name is. It doesn't matter how popular he is. If you can't back up what he said in that book, take it and throw it in the trash. Because he did not tell you the truth. One of the things I've had a discussion this week is about traditions of men. Can I tell you all traditions are hard to break? Traditions are hard to break. I was talking to somebody that, that grew up with with. Some things that they were taught, and they're having a very difficult time, even though they know it's really not exactly right, but they were taught those things in a church. Traditions of men. If it's in here, heed to it. If it's not, pay it little to no attention. Just because it comes from the pulpit doesn't make it pure. I don't mean to get off and all that, but I guess I can't get back out of it now. Paul says, if any man devour you jesus used the same word when he's talking about the pharisees devouring the widows homes it means like taking money from them or taking their homes from them these accusers they are accusing paul of taking money from the corinth yet 
they're living at the expense of them because they pretend to be holy, so they're taking money from them. They're acting the same way, these accusers are acting the same way that the Pharisees were that Jesus talked about. He says, if a man take of you, the meaning there is any man bullying you, is any man taking anything from you, taking your homes. Again, it's the same thing that Jesus referred to as the Pharisees. If any man exalt himself, these men in an effort to exalt themselves are degrading those around them. Anybody ever know what I'm talking about? There are those that in order to make themselves look good, they don't try to be their best, but in order to make themselves look good, they try to make everybody else look bad. And that's usually along those lines of troublemakers. The way to try to make themselves look good is by degrading everybody else, by tearing down what everybody else does, by, by putting down everyone around them. So, so what he says is these that heed to them and, and obey what they're saying, well, they force them to, to bow around them because they act like there's something special. And then anybody that won't do that, then they mistreat them. The, those people are humiliated and abused. Then there in the last part of verse 20, he says, if any man smite you on the face. Now, that would have been a Jewish custom uh, of the religious leaders in the day. You know, here's, here's the sad part of that. Th this is all I can see of this is, is I think back, and, and you see it. You see it in the trial of Jesus. You, you see it in, in several different trials in the Bible. Um, you even see it with the apostle Paul of being smite, slapped in the face. The Jewish people came out of slavery. Everybody knows that. They were abused, beaten. If they did anything wrong, said anything wrong, they would have been slapped down. Apparently that custom has left Egypt with them. And those who now feel as though they have authority feel as though they have the right to smite those who are underneath them. Isn't it a shame that at this point the religious leaders have become nothing more than taskmasters of Egypt. You say anything against them, you say anything. That's one of the things we're going to talk about that Sunday, going back into play practice. We talked about it last year. We still didn't get it right, and it was wrong Sunday. Those people back here, when these Pharisees are standing here, and they're mouthing them, and they're jawing, and didn't you get it? Can't you see? Don't you preach? No, no. You would have never said that. The priests are bullies. They are self-righteous bullies. And everybody with them is self-righteous bullies. But they have authority. They can have you stoned if they so choose. You think there's not a reason that when, when Jesus healed the blind man, and they said, how did you get healed? And they told him about Jesus. They went to his parents, and they said, hey, how did your son, they said, how did your son get healed? They said, he's of age. You're going to have to ask him. You know why? Because they were terrified of the Pharisees. They didn't want to get slapped. They didn't want to get removed from the synagogue. They, they didn't want to get in trouble with the religious crowd. Those people had an awful lot of authority. Isn't it a shame that somebody supposed to have been representing the house of God would treat people that way? But that's the reality of it. And, and that's what Paul is referring to there. Well, I'm out of time. I want to take a few minutes to pray. I did get accused of something yesterday that I have not once that I can remember ever been accused of. It was, of course, in a joke. But Larry was talking about last Tuesday. He said, well, you know, there are those times when the preacher just gets through early. I said, brother, y'all have run out of things to accuse me about. I've been accused of a lot. I ain't ever been accused of getting out early. But maybe we did last Wednesday since we didn't have any music. It was Tim's fault. Blame somebody else always, right? We, we, got, we got a few minutes. 
Um, they're not going to let us have kids for just a few more minutes anyway. They're, they're still at game time. If we could come down and pray or sit where you're at and pray. You heard these prayer requests, and these are very sincere needs, prayer requests, surgeries, um, cancer, cataract surgeries, um, heart problems. Certainly with David, I'm not sure what all is going on in, uh, well, in both, David Hickox or David Stogner. Both of those are serious situations um, that, that need our prayer. But God is faithful. I'm telling you, I know that I know if God didn't do anything else, he woke David Stogner up yesterday to, to let him talk to him one more time. Now, I'm going to continue to pray that God would heal him and give healing to him.